Have you, um, have you ever been in an impossible situation, an impossible scenario? Um, when I say that, what I mean is it's a situation that no matter what you do, nothing changes. That you try one thing and nothing gets better. You try another thing and nothing gets better. And those two things that you try can be completely polar opposites of each other and neither of them work. Have you ever been in a, a situation like that? Yeah, we've, we've been in a situation like that. I think most people have. Most people feel that they have. Um, before we uh, moved to, to Rochester, uh, we pastored and did ministry in Albany, New York. And one of the benefits of coming to Rochester was that uh, the church has given us a place to live. The church has given us a house, which is great. It's called a parsonage. It's right next door to the church, which is really, really great. And it's way more home uh, than we ever thought we would ever have. Our home in Albany was far, far smaller. Uh, it was a strange design. It was an old 50s uh, 1950s build, and they had put on a master bedroom in the back, and so it was kind of laid out strange. Uh, but it was perfect for a small, maybe a family that was starting out, which was not our family. We had our son, who was three months old, who has more toys than a house can fill, you know, you know what I mean? So it's just so many toys, and then we had a couple of cats, and then we added a dog, and so it just got really, really tight very, very quickly. One of the benefits of most homes that are small like that are, of course, that there's a basement, right? That there's a place where you can go downstairs. It's not counted in the square footage on any real estate listing, but you can go down there and it's usually wide open. I mean, there's a furnace, maybe there's uh, some duct work and some laundry, uh, but otherwise it's wide open and it is so great. You can put up a man cave in there. Or you can, you know, have a playroom down there. Or you can have a guest room down there. That was our plan. Problem was that nature decided to have a different plan with our basement. You see, we had two issues that were impossible to solve. The first was that there was a a pit in, in the basement that we assumed used to connect a a sump pump or something, but there was hardly any water in this pit ever, except when the storm sewer system in Albany flooded. And then we had a fountain of water and things that aren't water because it's storm and sewer and it was awful. It turns out, for those of you that know home ownership, there was no check valve from the street to the master drain in our home. So everything, all the storm water and all of the sewage ended up in our basement. We talked to people, what do we do? How do we fix that? And they said, well, what you do is you buy this particular plug and you put it in this drain and you hope that it doesn't break anything out in the lawn. Okay, so we put that in in the hole and that seemed to stop the the sewage problem from coming back uh, into the home. It only took three storm surges for me to figure out that maybe having sewage in our basement was not a good idea. But then the next thing was, One Saturday night, I went down to check on a load of laundry uh, in the basement to get ready for Sunday morning. And as I got down to the very last step, I heard splash. 
And it was cold around my feet up to about my ankle. I went, we fixed this hole. What is going on? And I turned on the light and started to shine a flashlight around to see where I could see where it might be coming out. And all that I could tell was that it seemed like the water in the backyard wanted to get to the front yard and it was taking a shortcut through our basement. There wasn't a waterfall coming down the wall, but out of the little trench that was surrounding the slab, all this water was bubbling up. And I went, what do we do? It's, it's, I got to get some rest. It, we got to have, we got to go to church. We got to lead church tomorrow morning. What is it that we can do? So I sat there for hours with a shop vac, trying to vacuum out probably 20 feet of water in a little trench, just trying to keep the pressure down. And then as the shop vac would get full of water, I'd pick it up and try and dump it into the sink. There was one time that I just dumped it right back on the floor, but that didn't matter because it was already wet. And so it was awful and it took, it was impossible to fix. When we look back on it now, we laugh Yeah, we laugh because it was comical as to the way that I was trying to fix these kinds of things. I'm not very uh, construction-minded. I'm not really good at engineering. I'm not too interested in those kinds of things. But it's in those moments you become fascinated with how plumbing works and how foundations work and how drainage is supposed to work. But it was impossible to fix over and over and over again. It flooded until finally some family helped us to to figure out what to do to have a solution. It was comical because I thought I could fix it on my own and yet everything I tried didn't work. It was impossible for me to fix. We needed experts to come who could fix things. Human beings, humanity has incredible potential for creativity, don't they? Don't we? The things that humanity can create, art, music, technology, medicine, construction, cities, roadways, and they're safe for people to drive on and be a part of. And the fact that we can just sit at a computer or hold up our phone and access information from around the globe, it is, it is mind-boggling to me about how creative and well, genius-like humanity can be. But there are times in life when we run into things that are impossible for us to change. If you've had uh, teenagers that ever dated someone, you know what that's like. Because a parent cannot mend their teenager's broken heart after that breakup happens. A co-worker cannot stop the downsizing of the company let alone the downsizing of the economy. And they can't stop the loss of their job when they lose their job. This one's kind of personal. A church continues to decline. No matter what ministry, no matter what ministries they do, they don't result in people finding and following Jesus. Or a diagnosis. 
is given. That there is no cure for medically. When it comes to the impossible, is there hope? Well, not to give away the point of the sermon, but I can say absolutely without one shadow of a doubt that the answer is yes. No matter the impossible situation, there is hope. And no matter your impossible situation, there is hope. And I want to show you why this morning. We're continuing in our series, The Son of God, and we're looking at the gospel of Mark together. Mark was the very first gospel written and given to people uh, who wanted to know more about Jesus. And it's kind of like the, the cliff notes. Here's the basic things that you need to know that demonstrate that Jesus is truly the Son of God and he's worth trusting your life to. And we've been in this series for a long period of time. We just picked it up uh, over the summer and we had a great moment last week where we, we got to look at the transfiguration of Jesus. We got to study who Jesus is. And we talked about how Jesus is worth putting at the top of your life's list. Out of all the people that you listen to and follow, make sure Jesus is at the top of your list. He's that trustworthy because he is God. And it's at the end of that story where you read this in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus replies, he says, you unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. This is, I think, if I were to think of an impossible situation, this would be up at the top of my list. This would be the dictionary definition. If I were to look at impossible situation in the dictionary, it would probably say, see Mark 9, 14 to 29. Because this is an impossible situation. And the disciples are not being very disciple-like. What I mean by that is, there's a standard definition of disciple. That uh, essentially means that it's someone who adheres to the teachings and practices of another. That the person who's doing the discipling is teaching and setting an example. And the people who are the disciples are listening to the teaching and putting it into practice themselves. They're following the example. And the idea behind that is education. That's how we teach other people anything. They want to see 
what it is that you have to teach them. They want to hear that. They want to learn that. But they also want to see you put that in practice before they decide that they're going to adopt that. That's how we do education as adults. Is that we model what we teach. And then other people look at that and go, hey, I want that in my life. And they decide to put that into their life. If, and that, what that means is this. If you follow the steps, you get the results. If you're a uh, disciple of Dave Ramsey, you're going to do the seven baby steps. And you're going to do the seven baby steps. And you're going to experience what Dave Ramsey says is the result of the seven baby steps. You're going to experience a generous, financially free life. There's no burden. You're going to experience financial freedom and have the potential to live like no one else has lived. But you have to follow the steps. And he basically guarantees them. That if you do these things, that over time, you will be better off financially than the way you were before. Just follow these steps. Put it into practice. Be disciplined. It's a skill that you can learn. If you want to learn the piano, you will watch what your teacher does. And you will watch to see if your teacher can do the same thing. Even if you're learning how to play piano from a series of YouTube videos, you will watch to see, hey, can that person play piano on the YouTube video? And what is it that they're teaching? And you will take those same skills and put them into practice. You may not be as good, but eventually you get better. And I think the disciples are doing that with Jesus. I think they're doing the exact same thing. I think they're assuming that skills will just give them the same results spiritually. But the disciples, who know the skills, who know how Jesus has taught and knows how Jesus has done ministry, he's healed people, he's healed physical illnesses, he's healed supernatural illnesses, they can't help this boy. And the teachers of the law start to argue with them. What do you think that argument was like? What do you think they were doing? I think they were casting doubt on Jesus' methods. Because if it's not working, then why should you be listening to Jesus? And so this leads to an argument with the teachers of the law. And I don't think Jesus is really happy. I don't find a lot of of comfort when Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I think Jesus is frustrated. I think he's frustrated by something and we see what that something is as we continue through the story in verse 20. They brought him. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, if, if you can, Jesus replies, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Jesus, the miracle worker, changes the impossible situation that had been impossible for years. Here's this spirit, this impure spirit that is trying to take the life of a child. He's trying to do it figuratively by removing his ability to speak and removing his ability to listen. So he cannot live, he cannot learn. And he's trying to take away his life literally, throwing him into fire, throwing him into water where he cannot control his own muscles in order to get himself out, in order to stay clear of that danger. And Jesus, with a word, and what I believe is a slightly annoyed level at the faith of the crowd, he just rebukes the evil spirit. And the boy looks like he's not even going to survive the encounter, right? It looks like he's dead, and everyone looks at him and goes, that's not good. This is a real clear battle going on. And then Jesus does what you never do to someone who's just gone into a seizure. He takes his hand, picks him up, and puts him on his feet. Just stand there. Your strength's back. You're good. Just has him stand there. The boy's father. Well, that's an interesting character, isn't he? I think in this moment that we hear him cry out what he says. I think he's lost hope. Years after years of disappointment of trying to seek, more than likely trying to seek the best medical help he can afford, the best uh, religious, spiritual help he can find. And I think he's lost hope that this is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be for all of time. And I think he sees Jesus' level of annoyance. I know that may kind of break our understanding of the deity of Christ as getting frustrated, but I think he's getting frustrated at the people who will not see him for who he is. Remember, this is the transcendent one. And people are still coming to him, calling him teacher. Will you do this for me? I think this man is afraid of how Jesus will respond, so he's kind of tiptoeing around. But I also think he's setting the expectation that Jesus is not going to be doing anything for him either. And sometimes we do the same things in our own faith. We do the same thing in our own relationships. We do the same thing in our own careers. We do the same thing in our church. Where we let our circumstances dictate. This is how God will act. And there is no hope. It's just going to be another day. It's just going to be another moment. There's going to be no breakthrough by God. There's going to be no moment for church. It's just going to be another Sunday. Eh, doesn't matter. And what Jesus shows us is that anything can happen at any given moment. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. 
The boy's father was just looking for a little bit of pity, just a little bit of help. Will you do something? And I think that's where we see his actual state of faith. But there is always hope with Jesus because Jesus is the Son of God. And God loves to take on the impossible. Let me rephrase. God loves to change your impossible. He loves to do it. He cares and he can. And those are the two ingredients that you need in order to see a breakthrough in your life, in your spiritual life, in your job, in your relationships, whatever impossible situation you are facing. God cares and God can make a difference that only he can make. And what that means is, I think what Jesus is frustrated is that here's this man who is desperate, desperate for his son to be freed, is scared that God doesn't care. And I think he's scared that God cannot. And Jesus breaks both of those things for him and gives him his son. What would that have been like? When the boy speaks for the first time. And dad says, son? And the son says, yes, dad. What would that have been like to have that be there for that conversation? What would that moment of healing, of amazement, of wonder have been like? You can bring your impossible to Jesus. Because Jesus is the Son of God. And God is God of the impossible. He's done impossible things all through Scripture, right? He's done impossible things all through your life. He's met you in those moments and He's changed some things that you could not have changed. How is it, how is it that we can look at a story like this and say, wait, that happened then, where is it in my life? I see it happening in this story and I believe that this story is true, but I don't believe that it's happening in my life where I am right now. I'm not experiencing that breakthrough. God's not doing anything in my impossible. And the good news is the story's not done. This would be a great part to end. Amen. You know, we bless you. Take, you know, trust that God can do the impossible. He can meet you in your impossible. But there's more. Because Mark is very clear as to how we access that impossible. It's in the last two verses. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, uh, why, why couldn't we drive this out? Um, you, you did it like... You know, you were sweeping breadcrumbs off the counter. How, how come we couldn't do it? And Jesus said, I think very kindly here, he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This kind can only come out by prayer. So what does Jesus tell us? 
to do when we encounter impossible situations, impossible relational situations, impossible vocational situations, impossible financial situations, impossible church growth and health situations. Jesus says, some things only change through prayer. Some things only change through prayer. And what's really helpful here is when uh, we read prayer in the NIV, they make a little note that says some translations or some early manuscripts also say some, uh, these kind, some kinds only come out through prayer and fasting. And I think those two word combinations kind of give us a sense of what Jesus is describing. That Jesus is describing a situation that's rooted in a deep level of impossibility. So much so that our only hope is God. So much so that our only hope is to deny ourselves food in order to receive from the Lord. This kind of prayer and fasting, this kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about is not, God bless mom, God bless dad, God bless my day, amen. This kind of prayer is based in a level of desperation that says we don't know what, but we know who. We don't know what, but we know who. And we believe, we trust that you care and that you can. So God will you. This is not praying, God, please fix my flat tire. Because you already know what to do with a flat tire. You don't call Pastor Brian. You go, yeah, Thank you. Yeah. You don't call Pastor Brian. You call someone who knows or you get out and you get the jack and you get, uh, you get the spare tire and you put it on or you phone someone who will put that spare tire on and then you go to the store or you go to the mechanic and you put fresh tires on. You already know what to do. I can't tell you how many people ask me to pray for things that I go, yeah, um, the answer is actually here. It's actually in this book. And all you have to do is start applying it. You just have to start putting that into practice. The answer's been given to you. Yes, it may be hard and you can pray for the motivation, but you already know what to do. Some of us are looking for an answer to prayer that God said, I've already given you the answer for this. And this is not the kind of prayer where God becomes some kind of heavenly vending machine who gives out spiritual results that we want just to make our lives better if we put in enough spiritual prayer books. This is not if I just, you know, count on a necklace so many times and, you know, that's enough. Or if I, if I say enough uh, repetitive things over and over again that that's enough. No, this is a level of desperate kind of prayer where you've come to the end of your skill set. And you don't know what to do. Jesus says, well, well, some things only change through prayer, so bring it to me. Bring it to me. What that is saying, what that means is that nothing you will ever face in your life, nothing you ever face currently, no matter what it is, is impossible for a God who died for you. 
The solution to whatever you're facing starts with Jesus. That's what we learned last week. And Jesus comes off the the mountain right into this incredible valley of darkness where there's spiritual oppression in the life of a boy. And he's still God there too. The solution to the problem that you're facing in your life, church, and the solution to the problem that we face in our church starts with Jesus. So you can bring it to him in prayer. You can pray in confidence that God cares and God can. Jesus is God of your impossible. So how do we begin to put this into practice? How do we begin to practice believing together that God is God of your impossible, that God is God of our impossible? What if um, we were to follow the model of this dad who very clearly did not mind sharing the deepest level of his faith, the deepest challenge in his life, the unmet need that he had with people who will pray? What if you and I together as the church were to bring our impossibles to Jesus and we could pray for them together. What if we were to commit to regular, confident prayer for each other? What would happen? Not just the bless so-and-so and bless so-and-so, but the impossible things that we have never seen a breakthrough in. What if we shared those with one another and people started to pray desperate prayers, knowing that God cares and God can. What could happen? Anything could happen. The impossible can change because we have a God, we have a Savior who is God of the impossible. What if we were to commit to regular, confident prayer for each other For our church, as we try to connect people to Jesus Christ and help them grow in a caring community, what if we were to commit to regular, confident prayer for each other's impossibles, for the church's impossibles, and for the community's impossibles? It's my privilege to share with you today that now you can. We have three ways that you can be part of a prayer network to pray for others, to have your impossibles prayed for by others, to pray for our church, and to pray for our community. We're going to talk about these three things. The first is just for the ladies. There is a ladies fellowship and prayer group that is starting up I think this week, this Thursday. And so to tell you a little bit more about that, would you please give a warm welcome to Kathy Knight? Good morning. Um, This Thursday at Minerva's house, we are starting back up a women's ministry here at um, church. 
what we're hoping to accomplish is to um, have a place where women are welcome, where they can come and talk about things in their lives, things um, probably church-related, maybe um, personally related, whatever it is, it's a place where they can come and just fellowship. The other thing we're going to focus on is prayer. And what exactly does that mean in our lives as individuals? And specifically as women, what's it mean when women start to pray together and really focus not um, on, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But, oh my goodness, what is Jesus going to do? So um, we're going to be investigating how God meets our impossible. One of the things that Tracy Cornell and Minerva um, and I have been talking about um, is all of the different, um, all the different things women have been telling us as we've been talking to people here, as we've been talking to our friends in the community. As women, what is it that we need? And a lot of people have been saying, how do I connect to God? What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to find out that other women have the same concerns that I have? So that's something that we're hoping to be able to um, connect people with as we meet. We're going to meet every Thursday. We've got some information cards in the back. Um, Minerva and I worked really hard last Sunday to make sure that every woman that was here got a card. So if you weren't here last week, um, please look on the back table. There is a card that has um, Minerva's address and has um, information on how to contact her to, to let her know that you're going to come. And if you can't contact her, please come anyway. We don't know how many people will show up. This is our first time to meet together, so um, we're hoping that you will come. And if it helps, there's going to be food. There will be um, also gluten-free, if you're gluten-free. All of us have needs and desires that seem impossible to obtain. So come and learn who we can be as women of God as God reveals to us um, how to be closer to him. So we hope to see you. Bye-bye. And if you're joining us online, the best place to find out more information about that is to visit our group's ministry page. Just click on the ministry tab and you can uh, venture over there and uh, click on the link, contact the leader, and they will get you uh, more information about uh, time and place so that you know where uh, to attend. So that's one way, but that's just for the ladies. What about all of us? Uh, Every first and third Sunday, uh, Will and Minerva Padilla host a time of prayer from 10 to 10.20. 20 minutes of prayer where we pray for what's going to happen that Sunday, what's happening in the life of our church, and how can we bring that to God, asking Him to do what we cannot. So that happens every first Sunday and every third Sunday. If you missed it today... It didn't happen today, so you're all right. It's next week that it starts, so 10 o'clock, bring some coffee, bring, bring something, and just come and enjoy some intense prayer for what God wants to do in our midst. And finally, for everyone, I am thrilled to announce a prayer team 
as part of our prayer network. Uh, we've got some sheets at the back if you are interested in uh, signing up for this team. It is a commitment to pray like you are serving on a ministry team, but you can see it here. You can go to our website following the service today. We're going to make this link live. We've already linked it to you in chat. Uh, if you are watching, you can uh, just click on the link in chat. It'll take you right to uh, trinityalliancechurch.com forward slash prayer team. And this team dedicates time to pray individually and corporately for our church, our pastor, our elders, our governing leadership, our ministry leaders, and you. The key responsibilities of this prayer team will be to pray for the needs shared through the weekly prayer sheet and email prayer chain. And when we have prayer gatherings, come. Commit to being a part of that when those are scheduled. And then right below that is a place where you can sign up. You just put in your name, first and last, your email address. Click on the please add me to the, to the prayer team. And you're set. If you don't have email, just give us your phone number on the paper version of this form on the back. Leave it in the offering plate. And we will connect with you to set up a time to get you those sheets. We're planning on sending them out each and every Wednesday or at least each and every other Wednesday. And we're going to give you ways to not just pray for the needs of people in our church, but to pray for our church. I am convinced that this is... This is what changes us from a church that's been in slow and sometimes rapid decline for the last 10 years to a church where people are connecting to Jesus Christ and people are growing in a caring community. A church that has a reach deeper than this room and goes all around the globe as God decides to use us. So I want to invite you, no matter what impossible you're facing, whether it's a ministry impossible, a personal impossible, whatever it is, you have a God who cares and who can. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus' church to a group of people who are committed to bring that impossible to Jesus with you on your behalf. And I'm convinced as we do, the God, the Lord, the Savior of all will help grow your belief and you will see just who the God of the impossible really is. You will see it in your world. You will see it in our world. Jesus is not just God of the impossible. He's God of your impossible. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the way that you... for the way that you meet us in our impossible, for the way that you meet us when our faith is challenged, when our belief is shaken, you are unshakable. And you meet us where we are. And you tell us you can and you care. It doesn't mean you will. But it means that we have a God 
who will work all things together for good for those that love you. So Lord, we give our impossible to you. We give those impossible relationships, our spouses, our parents, our kids, we give them to you. And we trust that you can and that you care. We give you our ministry, we give you our vocation, we give you our community, Gates, Rochester, the entire state, the country, the world. It seems impossible, but nothing is impossible with our God. You are not just God of the impossible, you are God of our impossible. Lord, would you help us to be people that pray for the impossible? Would you help us to be a church that prays for what we cannot accomplish anyways? The changing of lives for the kingdom and person of Jesus Christ. You are God. Be the God of our impossible, I pray in Jesus' name.